Welcome to the Aquila Report and Weekly Review. This is the opportunity that we have as the members of the Aquila Report to bring you uh, the top 10 articles that were read by the um, the um, readers of the Aquila Report that uh, we post about 56 articles every week and then uh, we look at uh, the analytics and the numbers and we add them up and these are the top 10 of, that were in, on last week's Aquila Report that will be in the top 10 of the newsletter that comes out usually every Tuesday and we just give this uh, re- weekly review an opportunity for us just to tease out these articles and encourage you to go and read them on your own because we find them that they are helpful not just to be aware of what's happening in the church at large maybe in the world or cultural issues and uh and also to use in small groups or share with others so uh this is uh dr dominic aquila who's editor of the aquila report along with paul harrell and we come to you weekly to uh through this podcast to encourage you to keep abreast and keep alert to things that are taking place so paul welcome to a new week Yes, sir. It's a new week and uh, similar topics uh, from last week. Also, a little bit of Afghanistan uh, mixed in there because of the tragedy that's going on over there. Uh, But very interesting, uh, you know, just topics once again. Yes. Okay. well, the first one deals with a new organization that has been formed called the Alliance of Reformed Churches. And uh, so the the initials are A.A.R.C., and this new organization, it's not being called a denomination right now. It's more of an alliance. Uh, it basically is being made up, though, of churches that are part of the Reformed Church of America. The Reformed Church of America used to be called colloquially the Dutch Reformed Church. Uh, it has one of the uh, long, longest histories of um, ministry in the colonies and the United States uh, with the establishment of the first uh, one of the first reformed churches uh, in, in in what is now down uh, lower Manhattan and the area known as Peter Stuyvesant area and uh, all the the when it was called New Holland or New Amsterdam. Uh, and then after the British took it over in 1774, after a battle with uh, the Dutch, they changed it from New Amsterdam to New York. So it's a little bit of history. But this um, longstanding uh, ministry with in the um, from the beginning about 1621-22 when the church was planted there in New Amsterdam now lower Manhattan so uh, over the years the reformed church in America RCA has been going through some um, ripples and uh, debates and discussions about different things uh, that have uh, sort of taken them in a little more liberal or progressive trajectory. And so as a result, there's some uh, churches that are concerned. And there's been discussion uh, over the years about perhaps a new church or a realigning uh, themselves with um, another denomination. So at this point, it's not a denomination, it is an organization. And so the first article here that people really uh, clicked on, the readers did, was the New Organization Alliance of Reformed uh, churches, ARC. And so uh, basically they said that uh, in this article that we are three months into an 18 month launch period, starting in May of, two, of 2021, going through December of 2022. And some leaders have been asking for a brief blog that shares the scale of the alliance 
of Reformed Church's activity in the first three months and after staff uh, after staffing for growth. And so they've added some staff members, and so uh, churches are affiliating with it, aligning with it, and you can read about it in the article as it uh, addresses some of their concerns and also uh, expresses uh, who they are. Uh, they have a page in terms of just the outline of their general philosophy of ministry and the type of churches they desire to con- uh, to have or and or continue to have. So uh, the uh, it's an interesting article, and so we commend it to you. And uh, just to say, well, there is quite a bit of a realignment that is taking place. Um, at, you know, at this point, and uh, we we just need to, uh, you know, be aware that this is something that's probably going to be happening in other ways. In fact, the next article might even give a hint to something else. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think this is just because, uh, you know, to some people, uh, you know, they see what's going on around us right now. They, they're looking ahead at the obstacles that, may or may not be, uh, you know, in the the church's future. And I think some people just have no, they're getting to the point where they just have no tolerance for um, churches today uh, trying to accommodate the culture and in order to do so, you know, deviate from what the scriptures say and and, and what the scriptures say, how, how does that apply to the way uh, you know, we we uh, you know we live our lives you know yeah. together as as a community worshiping God and, and going to church, and so right. that in, in number two, um, you know the number two point on the not Article two but number two point on Article one, churches and leaders in the Christian Reformed Presbyterian Church of Canada, Presbyterian Church of America, and various independent congregations slash leaders in a new church and and new church starts have begun dialogues with ARC. Some of these groups could be 50 to 250 churches or leaders as well, but it is early on yet. I I guess it's interesting to me, Dominic, that this is the number one article. You know, this was it. Number one article mm-hmm. uh, read on the Equilo Report last week. And so I think it kind of also shows the interest in maybe where some of uh, the readers of the Equilo Report are on some of this stuff. Yep, that's exactly right. And, and it, that is uh, interesting. And I think the reason is, is that there's so much uh, there's so much that's happening in the life of the uh, church around the whole country and in fact, the world. So I think uh, that just highlights that. So if there's a group that's thinking of beginning or thinking of moving on, then here's uh, that opportunity for this to, you know, for them to say, well, what's happening in that sector of the church? Uh, since uh, we're part of the more the Presbyterian Church, the wing of the Reformed world, uh, so it's interesting to hear how the uh, the Reformed side of the Reformed world, that is those who come from the continent more than let's say England and Scotland, uh, how they are doing in in their uh, ministry. So it's uh, interesting though to take that and to um, and to understand how that works uh, in the uh, life of the church. The we have now the second article that was read most was a meeting for concerned Presbyterians. And this is a meeting that is being planned by and being hosted by the uh, Gospel Reformation Network. And it'll be a meeting for concerned PCA ruling and teaching elders for September 25, 2021. 
from 9 to 3 p.m. in Greenville, South Carolina. And the purpose of the meeting is multipurposed as a, a season of prayer, uh, informative presentation by the council from uh, the Gospel Reformation Network, or GRN, uh, regarding some of the important overtures that are before the presbyteries now, uh, providing ruling elders, especially with some important information, and to discuss and consider ways to promote biblical fidelity, confessional integrity, and faithfulness to the Great Commission. So this is not a time where the GRN is saying it's time to pull out, it's trying to pull the plug or anything like that. It's more uh, now that we've had the General Assembly, uh, how do we look at it? We've had, we'll have some time having passed since the General Assembly adjourned. Uh, what's on the agenda that's uh, coming up here uh, now at that time? Yes. Um a meeting for concerned Presbyterians. I, I go back to uh, also Dominic about, you know, what we talked about in the first article. Um, you know, people have concerns about uh, just a lot of things, especially in light of General Assembly, how, you know, conservatives or confessionalists really thought that it was, uh, uh, you know, some very good positive things that happened. But you still have people uh, that are, you know, looking at things right now, I think, and saying, well, do, do we need to batten down the hatches here? And, and, um, you know, uh, there there may be some that would say, um, well, you know, what are you concerned about? Why do you have concerns? You know, what's the point of this meeting? <laughs> yes. Well, that's exactly right. And but th that's what I'm saying is there's a lot of things that are are in flux. Things are fluid uh, because of some of the issues that have sort of uh, come together, the confluence of a number of things that uh, that we've talked about here, articles that our readers have read uh, over the last few weeks that have been in the top of the 10, top 10 list uh, that touch on the human sexuality issue, touching on the cultural issue, especially as it relates to critical race theory. And so those things are right now what's generating quite a bit of interest in terms of its application and its implications for um, the church's ministry. And uh, until there's clarity on that and uniformity of thought, I think we're going to see this sense of being, you know, disruption or at least raising questions that need to be, uh, you know, considered by the church. And uh, so, you know, that's the reason why I, I'm hoping that, these articles that they run on the Aquila Report will help people to give them the information so that in their small groups or in their elder board meetings and sessions and so forth, they, they'll be able to operate with the uh, information, not just presenting us one side, but hopefully there's a good bibliography. So, okay, there's this side, this side. Where does that fit into the nature of our local church? So I think that's an important consideration. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, and and in just with that in mind, then the top third article, which are interesting that it would be third, because notice the first two, we're dealing with sort of the structural organizational side of the church in terms of first, what's happening the, the on the first, big picture. The first two are people kind of looking around like, okay, what are my options? Yes, <laughs> exactly. And and that's uh, what, what's going on. And then the, the third one does bring us to what I just said a moment ago, that of the human sexuality issue is driving uh, quite a bit of this agenda. And hopefully 
we want to do it with clarity, with understanding, uh, but it definitely is doing that. And it's uh, one by our good friend, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, uh, The Misplaced Identity of Gay Christianity is the title. And uh, in the subheading, uh, there is no dual citizenship in Christ, citizenship in Christ. A Christian cannot have one foot in the world embracing gay identity and one foot in the church. So it would be foolish, uh, uh, Rosaria says here, if, but if you foolishly think that the whole world needs to know about your homosexual feelings, you're dangerously wrong. In a world that has given uh, civil rights status to the sin of homosexuality, it is not safe for the Christian to follow the ways of the world and come out. Your job is to come to Christ uh, again and again. The difference between you and an unbeliever who calls himself gay is this. You have the Lord and you uh, and your union with Christ is spiritual, unbreakable, irreplaceable and eternal. So she sets up the, this art that's reading that's entitled The Misplaced Identity of Gay Christianity that um, someone may be wrestling with. And then she she would know of what she speaks uh, with the those temptations and those thoughts and and the things that are that part of uh, a Christian life. But if the focus is on Christ as Lord, if the affections are turned to him, then the things of this world grow strangely dim. Now, the, we all wrestle with sin. So the doctrine of sanctification uh, basically says that. But. But it is progressive sanctification. It's moving forward so that a person in Christ finds his or her uh, union with Christ as that which is a driving motivation to desire to have Christ and to be faithful to him. So this article really, really is helpful. And it's uh, one that um, really would urge our readers to uh, copy out and and to study and to um, share with other people because she really covers the waterfront in a beautiful way. And that's helpful. Well, she mentions the Pope and the Catholic Church's stance now on on, uh, you know, being gay. Um, she writes, even if you don't go as far left as the Pope, it seems that the argument is a slam dunk. Sexual identity is one of the most important aspects of a person's life. She goes on as someone who lived as a lesbian for a decade while advocating for LGBTQ rights and causes as an activist and tenured English professor in New York. And now as someone who is a biblically married pastor's wife with children and grandchildren, I can emphatically declare that gay Christianity is a trap set by Satan. Whether you are acting on sinful impulses or not, gay Christianity whether a person is sexually active or not, is a different religion from biblical Christianity. Matter of fact, Dominic, right now, as I went to the equilreport.com before we started this, I saw that Rosaria Butterfield has another post that's now featured on the equilreport.com uh, where she goes into the side A versus side B and how she, you know, condemns obviously the side A and also the side B because yes, of the both. idea of, mm -hmm. of having to hate your sin, you know, and how, and, and, you know, one of the ways we break free of our sin is recognizing it as sin and hating the sin. So uh, really, really interesting, wise stuff from Rosaria Butterfield. Absolutely. And uh, that article is running now, the one on the uh, what defining side A and B, which is sort of inside language that has become used 
has been in the useful list. So that article's up right now so that you can read that um, and it'll probably be in the top 10 next week um, when we come to it. But but this is this one's touching uh, the 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 nerve center of the church uh, because it is so closely tied to who we are and the whole notion of what it means to be in union with Christ and and how that even though we still wrestle with sin, we're doing it not with a letting sin rule in our lives, but letting knowing that Christ is Lord, He rules, and we still wrestle, but we're we're minimize we're 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 shutting down, we're closing down all those other impulses that don't belong to us now that we're in Christ. That's the reason for that a very important identity with uh, Christ Himself. So we would definitely urge you. This is a good article to share. Uh, with others and especially your officers in your church, if they uh, do not have access to the quote board or read it, uh, that would be helpful to them. Okay, number four is now takes us in the other direction where we're feeling some pains, and that is, uh, Paul, you mentioned at the very beginning of the program, uh, the church in Afghanistan and what the Taliban take uh, takeover means for believers there. Uh, and the this is an important one here because uh, uh, even some of the things that we would then put in print, if you're watching and paying attention to just the daily media, almost the 24-hour feed of news, that there are a lot of things happening in Afghanistan that are just horrendous in terms of people wanting uh, fleeing because they want freedom. They're afraid of what might happen because of their prior association with uh, any of the allied forces, the United States and uh, its allies during the period of time, the last 20 years. But the, the focus here on this article is specifically the church. And what it does is it highlights for us the um, fact that, the, that we have two opposing views uh, that while the United States and its allies are not representing Christianity, they are representing a... Um, a, a philosophy or a concept that is at least a derivative of an extension of Christian thinking over against Islamic thinking. So we have uh, two um, uh, various, uh, you know, philosophical views that are clashing that have a religious underpinning. And uh, so there's warfare. And as I've uh, shared with the people that I have privilege of pastoring is that we're this is a it's not just a physical warfare uh with the flesh and blood as paul says in ephesians 6 but it's also against the principalities and powers that are in the air and that the the uh the satan loves nothing more than to upset uh god's agenda uh, to overthrow anything that belongs to christ and so behind the scenes in what paul calls the heavenly realm there is this uh battle that is raging that is a really a spiritual battle ultimately, even though it does come out in, uh, in a physical way as far as what we can see. So this particular article by John uh, Stone Street um, was basically calling it that Afghan Christians are totally vulnerable with no political power. They have 
no one to appeal to. They don't even generally qualify for special immigrant visas to the United States or other Western countries because they have avoided working for American organization um, or working for the Afghan military to do so potentially exposes them to uh, attention and danger. And I should say they not they, they have worked for those other organizations. And I think this is important. Now, when we get to this is the fourth number, uh, a highly hit red article. Uh, the, there's the seventh one. I'm going to sort of co-join. I'm going to jump ahead. We don't normally do this, but they, they're tied together. Uh, number seven uh, came a little bit later, was written a little bit later, uh, and it's titled uh, Taliban going door to door, seeking Christians, searching through phones for Bible apps. Uh, so a report is saying, and then if they find uh, someone who is suspected of being a Christian or the testimonies there, which in a Islamic setting would be a good thing. And in other words, uh, people know that you weren't uh, worshiping Allah, you're worshiping uh, the God, the, the Christian God. And so, th so the word's out. And then they say, okay, how deep is this? Uh, you go to a certain worship service, uh, or even if they're doing it in secret or carefully, uh, but you also may put uh, the Bible app on your phone. And so if they're finding, um, you know, someone who's suspected of being a Christian, they look at their phone and they, they see a Bible app, then they shoot them. And that's what this article is. Number seven, the Taliban going door to door, seeking Christians and looking at their phones. So the that's where I'm saying it's not just a pure uh, civil thing uh, between different um, members of the Afghani culture, but it's basically a warfare between the people of God and the people of Islam, uh, you know, that this uh, great cosmic, it's a cosmic warfare that's taking place. And the urge of both articles is that we, uh, you know, uh, pray for the Lord, that we participate with our brothers and sisters and praying against the uh, forces of darkness and the authorities in the dark places, as Paul says it in Ephesians 6. Um, my response to this just may not be as, uh, uh, well, let me just say, my response to this is certainly on the lesser scale of everything that you just said, Dominic, but I can't help myself. I, I, I would just wonder, or I would just hope that there are some woke Christians who voted for Joe Biden, who were very annoyed that they had to explain to their secular friends when they found out that they were Christians, that they're they're not one of those Trump supporting Christians. And I, I really hope that the awkwardness of, of that and now the absence of that awkwardness because Trump's not in power uh, was worth it. Um, that That's my comment on all this. I, I, I guess I just I, I would hope that current events would cause people to maybe, uh, you know, rethink um, the first world problems that we have here versus the uh, other problems and the real consequences that can um, that can happen, um, uh, you know, in, in, in this fallen world that we live in. So, uh, again, yeah, I admit that is. my comment, Dominic, is not as not as good as yours, but I had to say, I had <laughs> well, to say it, it's, so. it's a different level. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. it's still appropriate because anytime we look at any issue, we have to see, you know, the, the stratosphere and the, the, that there are 
many parts to the uh, to the issue that goes on here. Uh, what we can see and what we can't see, the seen and the unseen, and um, it's not easy. But the thing that stands out here is that there are, the conflict is not purely a physical conflict. It has that, and it's not just against one nation against another, uh, but behind it, especially when you focus on the the uh, Christian, um, non-Christian approach uh, really puts it into that um, spiritual warfare, and it's a cosmic warfare that's going on. So another time we may explain that a little bit more. All right, number five uh, is Guided by Faith is the title. Divinity student fought his anti-racist, and that's in quotes, Princeton Seminary, and he won. And it's a story uh, about uh, Timothy uh, Ketterling, uh, who was enrolled at Princeton Seminary. And uh, Princeton, uh, this one ties together, by the way, uh, what how uh, the, the critical race theory, intersectionality, and all those things that we've been chatting about for the last number of weeks uh, actually gets involved and in, is in, you know, into the framework of uh, an institution. And so he uh, did not want to participate um, in uh, a program of, of critical race theory. It says Kitterling's case matters because at the time when critical race theory and anti-racism, which almost sounds counterintuitive, it's that being having a framework of anti-racism uh, training were routinely described in the media as benign ways to encourage uh, meaningful conversation. His experience opens us a window into the open, often coercive and rather radical nature of these uh, those efforts. His willingness to push back against being told what he must think and how to hint as a possible lawsuit to protect his right to think for himself, it may presage something like a broad pushback that has taken place in the courts against unfair procedures on campuses, sexual assault cases. So the... Um, this this is uh, where one student who stood against said, I, I can't go forward with this. I don't. It, it strikes at my conscience. It's uh, foundationally an error. And so he called on the Academic Freedom Alliance, AFA, which is really made up of uh, a, a group of, uh, of uh, faculty members in universities and colleges throughout the country uh, and also on seminary level. And they came to his defense and they provided the background and the support he needed to be able to say to the university, you can't force me. This is out of order. That's not why I'm paying you the big bucks here to come to uh, be educated here. And uh, so eventually they were able to work out um, a, you know, a arrangement where he would go, but he would not have to be uh, go through all the hoops that they had um, set up for him. So it does show that one, it's that CRT is is deep, more deeply embedded into the fabric of our daily existence in education. We see the stories of parents going to uh, school board meetings or and to principals and educators in the local school and arguing against what their students are getting, their children are getting, saying, we'll take care of them uh, teaching these things at home. You do the, you know, the three R's, writing, reading, arithmetic, and uh, we'll take care of everything else. So 
the, uh, it's, the so this has created a great deal of angst and stirred in the with life of the uh, culture that we're in. Yeah, I also want to highlight this because, you know, you got to follow the money and stuff like this as well. Many of the sessions or many of the meetings that were led were led by paid consultants from companies that are in the business of conducting such training. Ketterling was troubled when the trainer suggested that being white was something to repent for. In his view, followers of Jesus should not treat one another differently based on race. And that kind of, quote, training, end quote, would divide us. Uh, so it's interesting that you're, you have here, uh, you know, the, the Princeton uh, you know, seminary is uh, contracting this stuff out. They're bringing this stuff in and they get all kinds of virtue and praise because they're you know, addressing the, the, the fad of the decade and something that, you know, we need to pay. But I mean, you know, you just got to wonder uh, the, the people who are being paid, the consultants who are, you know, going there to teach, what are their real affinities? What are their real um, convictions? You know, um, and so that, that that would be something, you know, you're bringing in something that's not even associated with the university. And it's probably doing this all over the country, not just in seminaries, but maybe other places. Well, it is. And it's difficult in one sense to fight because they assume the high ground in saying, well, if you don't do this, then you're racist. You know, those are the only options. It's uh, you're either uh, racist or not a racist. That's it. And so however the other parts may be framed, nobody wants to be called that name. And so we tend to capitulate and give in uh, to someone who sort of gets that apparent moral high ground. And the so they're ways that we can uh, go fight against that and not allow ourselves to be uh, boxed in and defined by that. There are other ways in which we can define why I'm not willing to go along with this particular model that uh, is now becoming so prominent and seems to have just, you know, swept the nation and a great deal in our, in our various institutions. We have it not only in education at the lower level, but in regular uh, graduate I mean, in uh, undergraduate, graduate school, you have it. It's in government. It's in the uh, in the in the corporations. So it is it's really mixed into this whole thing. And jobs are dependent on it. It's just a really difficult uh, part time for us. This philosophy has uh, really grabbed on in a big way. Well, we can see when the article number six really probably uh, takes it uh, this whole thing about the human sexuality thing to uh, I guess I don't know how to explain it explore it to and take it to a level that we're saying is this for real like the end of Romans so. 1 just like yes. the end of Romans 1 yeah, that's it <laughs> exactly uh, and it, this is an article by a guy named Rich Copley uh, week of action and notice it's, uh, the, this is the title, Week of Action, LGBTQIA+. So we keep adding letters to the LGBT, and it goes keeps going out. Okay, so Week of Action, LGBTQIA+, days, uh, day, includes homage to Mr. Rogers. And uh, so that's a cover way you're invoking a name of uh, Mr. Rogers with, uh, you know, I want to be a friend in your neighborhood kind of thing, very easy going laid back. And what it basically says is the uh, 
byline is from Lexington, Kentucky. The On Wednesday, August 25, which is just coming around the corner, the Presbyterian Week of Action will turn its attention to the LGBTQI community with events including children's story, time, and poetry, and a, a story, a story slam, which sounds okay by itself, except that during this time, uh, it will not just be any kind of story, but is a community that uh, the Reverend Ashley Dittar Burt, uh, a member of the planning team for the day, it's a community filled with a variety of different people, different voices, different perspectives, all united in the fact that they are all creating the image of God. And what she means by that is that there will be people who are dressed in drag, there'll be other expressions of their uh, sexuality, and the focus is on uh, just broad acceptance of, you know, anyone who uh, comes along and uh, offers himself or herself uh, as, you know, someone who uh, is hip and with it and uh, at the same time seeking to be religious. So this just gives you this article gives uh, an actual outworking and how it gets into the life of the church. And it's also part of the community because it's not just a religious event. It's also a community event uh, that's taking place in Lexington. So um, this is where things will definitely deteriorate to or go down to uh, result in uh, left unchecked. But given the background of this group, um, it, it makes sense. So that's the reason the article think uh, captured attention because we're saying to ourselves you know even in my worst days i don't think i would ever have been able to think of something uh, going down to this level yeah i mean you know it's it's the reason it's the presbyterian usa uh presbyterian news service posting this article about the second annual presbyterian week of action designed to bring attention and action to people in communities living under different forms of oppression uh, I mean, you know, this literally could just be something that you would see, uh, you know, like in a Democrat Party news release and uh, or, or whatever the flavor of the day is. I, I find it interesting, Dominic, you know, uh, I was talking to a non a non-denominationalist the other day and I I said I was Presbyterian and uh, he immediately was like, oh, so, you know, you're OK with the gays and uh, serving in church and everything. And I was just like, no, uh, you know. PCA and, you know, but it, it's interesting, though. I mean, when you when you just tell somebody, at least in my neck of the woods, that you're Presbyterian, they only know really of of uh, of the USA version. They don't really know that there are other um, denominations out there. Yeah. And that's it. But the ideas do have actions and ideas have consequences and they work their way out. And uh, we see that happening here. So if you want to see the future uh, if we allow things to happen in our local churches and schools and whatever, uh, we're we're moving. We would definitely move in that direction because that would be the philosophy that's driving action down the street, down the road. Well, that's number six. Number seven, we've already dealt with is the Taliban going door to door and looking to see if their phone apps, uh, I mean, uh, Bible apps on the phone and uh, taking in uh, Afghanistan and then shooting people because they uh, believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible. So that's number seven, and we've already discussed that. Now we come right back again with the eighth alert, uh, most uh, hit article, and the title is Why Anti-Racism Zealots Are Trying to Silence Black Voices Like Mine, and this is by Vadi Bakum. 
And uh, Vadi, of course, has written a, a book recently. We've uh, spoken about it here because it's received very good acclaim uh, across the board and uh, in broad evangelical circles, for sure. And uh, but now because his book has uh, made such a an impact and because of who he is in terms of his ability to communicate well, that he doesn't fit the stereotype model of a black man who should be taking a position other than what his books about and what he normally speaks about. So he says, I'm being stifled, not because of the religion I practice, uh, but because of, of one, of one, I reject the religion of anti-racism, which is now the established church of academia, government, the media and business. And so he's, uh, you're not supposed to, if you're a person who is African-American, uh, to speak that you should be over here. In other words, uh, everything becomes monolithic. Uh, so blacks are here monolithically, whites over here monolithically. And uh, there's a battle between the two, uh, which is a sort of that dialectic, uh, to use the social word, uh, meaning that there's a conflict all the time between those two groups. Well, all of a sudden you have someone who articulates very clearly, uh, biblically, wisely, uh, or, um, argues philosophically as well, in a clear-headed, clear-worded way, uh, and it's a, it creates a real problem for the image that is attempting to be put together as to who normally speaks that way. And you uh, don't represent that. And so that's what uh, Vondi talks about here. And because he's not allowing himself to be used and put into that model, he says uh, the elites of our society urges to elevate black voices. But it's important to understand what they mean. They don't want to elevate all black voices, but only those who subscribe to the creed of critical race theory. If you don't avow that our society is infected with the systemic racism and the and white and that white supremacy, white privilege and white fragility are the root of all the problems that black black, black people face, then you are a heretic because it is part of a, a, a religion type thing. Your conscience is white. Uh, your consciousness is white and therefore oppressive, no matter how black your skin may be. And that's why this this whole thing is is creating this tension. We just saw that with the article with uh, from Princeton, the student there, and it's just running rampant through all of the institutions that we have, from the church all the way up to corporate America, to education, uh, and even into government itself. Yes, um, it's it's we shouldn't be surprised if you know anything about anti-racism or critical race theory. You know, they say because you're white, you're guilty. And in this case, that also requires that if you're black, there's only a certain approved line of thinking that they're going to be OK with. And so you have Vody Bauckham, who is thinking uh, differently according to their narrative, according to their narrative. He's not allowed to think in, in the way he does because he's black. And so once again, we'll just chalk up, you know, on the long list of hypocrisies. Um, uh, you know, of the standard CRT claims to put out there. It, it really and truly it actually is quite intellectually consistent if you know just, you know, how uh, 
hypocritical the entire ideology really is. Exactly. And that's the reason we need to keep aware of it. Stay abreast, read well, think well, uh, put on the mind of Christ as uh, the scripture exhorts us to do. Uh, And instead of just responding emotionally, we really need to have uh, that rational reasonableness that our faith uh, gives to us and the scripture does provide. So we can thank uh, body for what he has written and how he has spoken and the slings and arrows that he uh, is taking and that he's not willing to be put into some kind of ideological box just because of the color of his skin, as he says. Well, then if we move from uh, that, um, let me see, The uh, we have our eighth article, or is this ninth, ninth article, uh, the uh, right and wrong reasons for leaving your local church. So this takes <laughs> just totally different uh, because people – Uh, do tend to move around. We are in a consumer based, uh, uh, you know, culture. So if it happens about what we, what kinds of restaurants we go, what kind of uh, style dresses or uh, clothing we wear, uh, we tend to be a consumer driven. So what's the fashion, what's hip, what's uh, in, uh, what's the thing that will make me look right and so forth. And so obviously we're going to carry that notion into our uh, relationship with the church. And so Chris Gordon, who's uh, written to us before and his number of his articles have shown up in the top 10 pastor in um, Escondido, California is with the pastor with the United Reformed Churches. He uh, uh, talks about their, you know, their, it's clear that we could leave churches and there are legitimate reasons to, to make uh, changes. And he spends a little bit of time talking about that. But he also warns against being careful not to um, allow the the, co- the common culture, if you would, to influence how we look at it. So make sure we have the right reasons. It may, he gives a, a great uh, illustration here. Uh, he says a wise elder once come paired a disgruntled churchgoer to a plant that did not grow in his kitchen window. He says this uh, member cared for that plant, watered that plant, faithfully tended that plant, but it always looked tattered and wilted. One day, the next door neighbor offered to take the plant with the hopes that he could do well, uh, that it would do well uh, and with the man, and rather reluctantly offered the plant to the neighbor. After a short time, the neighbor celebrated how well the plant was doing. It was vibrant and green, producing new leaves. I had to submit to this truth of Christian ministry more than a few times, humbling myself with my own pride, recognize sometimes people leave uh, for foolish reasons, but they may also flourish elsewhere. So the uh, I identify with that thing because you give me your plant, take care of on your while you're on vacation to probably come you come back and it's going to be dead. Uh, so you don't want to ever commit anything like that to me. Uh, for, I don't know why that is. I'll water it and put it in the sunshine and so forth, but something will go uh, wrong. It definitely no green thumb. So the, sometimes it happens that way uh, in church, but having said that, then Chris Gordon uh, takes it and says, well, look, there are other issues that we need to be concerned about as to why the remaining faithful to your local congregation, assuming all things are equal. And he gives a number of things, five reasons that we should stay in the church. So I just want to commend that uh, to us in terms of not being so taken in by 
the the culture, the consuming nature of culture, uh, that we we don't again apply biblical notions and principles uh, to our association with the church. So he's not saying it's wrong, uh, but he says at least consider these propositions before you jump too quickly. Yeah, you know it's it's really easy to. Uh, look at a church the way we look at everything else, kind of like a commodity, uh, something that's there, you know, to serve, uh, you know, serve us when we are, in fact, you know, there to serve uh, Christ and and serve the church. Uh, serving the church is serving Christ. And so um, it's, it's a really big deal to um, to stick it out, even though, you know, things aren't perfect and, uh, you know, attempt to maybe even stay if if there's not, you know, if it's not something that, you know, is something that you clearly have to leave. Um, you know, maybe it's not like changing cell phone providers, I guess. <laughs> you know That's I mean? right. I've got bad service, and so I've got to get out of here. I think uh, you know, st- sticking with it even through the flaws and, uh, uh, you know, uh, even, even uh, you know, fighting for Christ church is appropriate. Right. Uh, many, uh, you know, great minds and great pastors and um, preachers in the past Oh, I've seen it now in a number of different places. At first, I thought it was something that was more modern, but uh, saw it in the, some of the older, uh, well-known preachers as well. And so then they borrowed later on from that. And that was that if you find that perfect church, don't join it, because once you join it, it won't be perfect any longer. And uh, so That's, I think we need to be careful that yeah. uh, if we're looking for Nirvana, the perfect church, uh, the, the until Jesus comes, the new heavens, new earth, and the new Jerusalem, uh, it doesn't exist. And so we need to make sure that we're careful in making our, our moves. Okay, and the last one uh, takes us, again, totally different thing, but it's a really important uh, article, and I'm glad it made it in the top 10 so we could just at least expose people more and more people to it. It's uh, written by a doctor that uh, a silent tragedy growing in our homes, colon, our children in a devastating emotional state. And over the last past 15 years, researchers have given us increasingly alarming stats on a steady and acute increase in child mental illness now reaching epidemic proportions. Now, this is uh, by Dr. Luis, um, Luis Rojas Marcos. He's not intended to be alarmist. He's saying here... These are hardcore numbers that have come out of research. It's not somebody just throwing numbers on a piece of paper to try and upset uh, things. He says there's a silent tragedy that's growing today in our homes, and it's not, and it's uh, about our most uh, beautiful jewelry, our children. Our children are in a devastating emotional state, and so he says over the past 15 years, these researchers have done. Um, their homework and they've looked at it from different angles and it just calls us to be conscious and aware uh, that the home with the family is the is the primary foundation for the rest of culture so it's what happens in the home that really uh, sets the trajectory the destiny for a community uh, for city for a state for a country in fact and how important it is that we, instead of being engaged just to accomplish what we want in a selfish way, that we make sure that we are taking care of that next generation because there it's going to have a, a spiraling effect down down the road. 
So, for instance, uh, stats don't lie, he says. One out of five children have mental health issues. Uh, now, in the larger report, he defines what those are. Uh, 43% increase, uh, we've seen a 40%, 43% increase was seen in ADHD, a 30% increase, and this is over the last 15 years, uh, a 37% increase in adolescent depression has been observed, and a 200% increase in the suicide rate among children ages 10 to 14 uh, has been observed. So what's going on? And um, he just mentions a number of things that you can read in the article, you know, the where the parents are involved, how limits need to be defined, how responsibilities need to be given, holding them accountable, you know, the whole idea of just making your bed, doing your chores. Uh, balanced nutrition, good sleep, uh, movement uh, in general, but especially outdoors, getting out from just playing with the uh, devices uh, and exploring the outdoors and letting them get a little dirt in their on their hands and on their knees as they're crawling around. So uh, it's just, I think, something just to say that there is a proper place in the economy of God's economy to recognize how significant it is how the, the family life and what happens in the home really does have an effect uh, and a ripple effect in culture itself. You know, if you don't teach your children, uh, the TV will definitely do it. And this article uh, certainly is, a, is kind of a gut punch to me as the father of a four-year-old right now. Um, digitally distracted parents. Now, mm. I mean, I'm guilty. That is a struggle to just scroll on my phone, you know, uh, and, and just totally be uh, absent. Um, indulgent and permissive parents who let children rule the world and be the ones who set the rules. Um, a sense of a sense of well, by the way, I have both sets of grandparents that live in town, so that one's <laughs> that one may not be all of my fault. Uh, a sense of law to deserve everything without winning it or being responsible for getting it. Inappropriate sleep and unbalanced nutrition. Uh, a sedentary lifestyle, endless stimulation, tech nannies, instant gratification, and no boring moments. I think the most, I, you know, out of doing all this, I think the one thing that could be regulated uh, easier, you know, would be the screen time and I, I, for kids. And what and what's crazy is is if you have too much screen time and you you know start to limit it, you know, uh, the the reactions that I that I've gotten out of my four year old just kind of reinforce force it may be very painful and a lot of effort on my part but it reinforces just how much they don't need to be watching so much television uh, but based on if you take it away the the behavior just uh it can get you know really bad really quickly so yeah the debate um, anyways, is always about nature and, and versus nurture and they're both instrumental uh, of course our very nature from our biblical point of view is that we're born in and with sin and so we're already prone to do things that are not uh, very healthy for us and things that are very selfish were become very internal that's what the sin does and so as again i'm go back to vadi he gave us this title he says that even that little child that one-year-old that two-year-old is a viper in a diaper and I think that we realize that you don't have classes and lessons for, you know, your two-year-old. Let me tell you how to be selfish. So when the next door, uh, the neighbor come next, the next door neighbor child comes to play with you, let's 
practice how to be selfish and don't let him play with your toys and how you can grab it from him. So let's practice that. You don't have to do that. That's right. Uh, so because that's nature. Uh, we just we're automatically uh, selfish. The question is, how do we go about then providing a, a framework of nurture uh, that will uh, touch on the conscience of the child and also the fact uh, he's made or she's made in the image of God? And how we can pick on that with the hope that as we are teaching our children the things and the principles of God's truth, that we're also leading them to know that they must trust themselves to Christ as their savior. Yeah. So it's a both and it's teaching them about Christian principles as you're leading them to the one who gives the author of all those principles. So that's uh, an important thing. So uh, very excellent thing. You read through this list. It's very it's set off and bullet point approach so you can read it quickly. But it, I think something to really give consideration uh, to. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why Jordan Peterson has been so famous and popular with his lectures, because he's basically advocating the kinds of things that are here uh, that in terms of uh, raising our, our children and holding them accountable, dealing with them as, uh, you know, creatures that can learn. They do have a conscience. They uh, and help them in that nurture, pointing them in the direction that is uh, good and healthy. Well, Paul, it's uh, been an interesting 10 uh, top 10 articles for the Equal Report. And we're so glad that you all have been a part of this, the Equal Report and weekly review. Uh, the if you're not signed up to receive the um, newsletter and you can do so very simply by going to theaquilareport.com and on the right hand margin there will be a little icon where you can click on it to receive a weekly newsletter uh, just put in your name and uh, email and every Tuesday uh, you will receive uh, the top 10 and those top 10 come from the readers of the Equal Report as they click on and read articles during the week uh, and that's how we arrive at the 10. So we're not getting the 10 from some other place. It comes right from our own readership. So it shows w what kinds of things so people like and appreciate and um, grow. But there are many other uh, articles there that can be helpful. So uh, we appreciate the audience. Uh, I say that the Aquila Report readers are people who are reasonable and rational. They're discerning. They are, desire the best for themselves and for their families and the, the work and the ministry that they're engaged in. They want to really know what's taking place in order that they can be productive. And so we're just pleased as anything to be able to serve you and providing these articles for you. So, Paul, until next week, we'll um, just say goodbye and uh, thank the folks for being with us. <laughs>